0: This is your last chance. After this there is no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.
1: Broadcasting from Brisbane Australia this is a famo show.
0: And this is a podcast where you'll hear about cryptocurrency, blockchain and future tech in relatively plain English.
1: We'll help you stay across the crypto world so you don't get the fear of missing out.
0: You can find us at FOMO.show or by searching for The FOMO Show on your platform of choice.
1: So yeah, pleasure having you join us today. Thank you so much for taking the time. Um, We're on episode 13. What are we talking about this episode?
0: Yeah, mate, we're talking about uh, mobile crypto in Africa, which is really taking
1: off. Mm. We're going to be uh, giving you a little update on some space tech that's out there. We're also going to
0: touch on uh, Nokia. Yes, they still exist and (laughs) they're trying to be relevant again and what they're doing to be relevant.
1: Yeah, um, we're covering some privacy and security, a bit on uh, malware and antivirus stuff. Dan's
0: going to be checking in with his latest investment opportunity.
1: And uh, we'll be talking about the dangers of dodgy code.
0: So just so you guys know, we are recording in the middle of a thunderstorm. So you may hear some rain, you might hear some thunder. Uh, There's a lot of lightning going on. There's not a lot we can do about it. It's very hot at the moment, and so we have got some windows open. Hopefully these sounds will be soothing. Um, But yeah, if you do hear a little bit of something in the background, that's what that is, so don't worry.
1: The FOMO show would like to apologise for the unforeseen weather events that have occurred during recording.
0: So what have you been up to this last fortnight, mate?
1: Mate, I've just been keeping the Brisbane economy afloat single-handedly, just going to work. Not a lot to report, really. What about you? Mate, about the same. I've just been been working really hard. There's nothing better to do with a candle than burn it at both ends. So just as a little um, point of disclosure, this isn't investment advice. Um, there are new cryptocurrencies that are popping up every day. And it's really hard to know which ones are legitimate and which aren't. And we're not saying you should buy anything at all.
0: Yeah, so full disclosure, we're both personally invested in different cryptocurrencies and some of which we will talk about on this show. But if we talk about a project, it definitely doesn't mean you should buy it. We're not financial advisors and we we essentially just have this show to discuss what we enjoy and to provide some of our tips that we've learned, uh, but nothing should be taken as investment advice. Hmm.
1: So, do your research, never invest more than you can afford to lose and most of all, avoid the fear of missing out. Which is what we name the show after.
0: If you've got a question about anything you've heard though, you can drop us a tweet, email us, or join our Slack board at FOMO.show Slack. If you've never bought crypto before, you can check out our guide at FOMO.show slash one oh one. It's got everything you need to know to buy, store, and send your first Bitcoin. And fees are actually quite low at the moment. Yeah. So I feel like even though we've been meaning to update that, now's probably one of the easiest times to buy Bitcoin in a long time just
1: because transaction fees are so low What is mm. it It was like 33 pence in British pence that means nothing to heart like almost everyone listening yeah it was about 33 British pence the other the other day according to a reddit post I saw so that's uh probably about 60 70 cents in freedom money uh, or 80 cents in dollar dues. If you're new around here and you're new to crypto in general, um, do check out our blockchain basics series. Really useful, and it starts from episode two, and it continues until episode eight. Um, it will give you a good grounding in the fundamentals of Bitcoin, the blockchain, cryptocurrencies, etc., and it will help you understand what on earth we're talking about. Cool.
0: Well, mate, let's get in the news. So, the first bit of news we've got this episode is that there's been a report that came out that claims 34,000 Ethereum smart contracts are vulnerable to bugs. Sheesh. Um, And out of those 34,000 contracts, the people that are doing the report say that $4.4 million worth of Ethereum might be vulnerable to exploitation.
1: That is a huge amount of money. What was that? So they haven't released what the vulnerability was, did you say?
0: Yeah, so it was a it was a group of researchers from, I believe, the UK that have been looking into it. And so this group, they find contracts that either lock funds indefinitely, leak funds carelessly to arbitrary users, or can be killed by anyone. And so essentially these are, these are smart contracts that either haven't been properly audited or they've been built you know, a long time ago and then ex- exploits have come out since then. But they, you know, they they want to give people the chance to either get their money out or find some way to mitigate this mm. before releasing these vulnerabilities.
1: Because mm. it's, it's it's still a very new space. And mm. There aren't a lot of people who can actually audit this sort of thing. But how, how much sort of money has been lost to this bad code in the last, last sort of year?
0: Yeah, well, they reckon the last half a year, $500 million – or the equivalent amount in ethereum has been lost due to bad code and half of that involved ethereum. So out of this half 500 million, yeah, so about $250 million has been lost specifically from ethereum and about another 250 has been lost from bad code. And I think a part of that's the parity hack, which was that wallet oh, yeah. that got hacked and I think there was about $160 million or something worth of crypto lost in that. So Sheesh. there's this it's, it's a really spot interesting spot we're in and I think enough people don't realize that with smart contracts you essentially set the code lock it in with the smart contract and then that's kind of it like if you don't build it properly because it's immutable and because you set the rules and then drop it into the, the blockchain and kind of let it do what it what it mm. does um, if you don't code it right you can just lose you just lose it you can just lock the contract mm. and there's no way to get it back.
1: That is good warning for anyone who's looking to build their own smart contracts. Make sure you run it past someone else because it's, uh, it's very easy to think that what you're coding is secure yep. and the m- securest thing in the world, but just get a fresh pair of
0: eyes, I guess. That's right. Yeah, and there is a program out there now. It's called QuantStamp. Uh, it's essentially an automated code scanner for smart contracts. It's an ongoing project, so they're slowly building it out, and they're going to rely on machine learning and all sorts of things to do it. But their hope is that whenever you build a smart contract in the future, you'll be able to run it through this Automatic Auditor, essentially. Mm. And it will pick up a lot of the issues that, that are just pretty simple issues. Kind of like if you're a programmer and you're using a an IDE, like a development environment, it will pick things up for you automatically mm, and mm. be like, hey, this isn't going to work.
1: You forgot a semicolon. That's yeah. right.
0: Yeah, you put a bracket in the wrong space or <laughs> something. So a bracket in the wrong space in you know something that's just used internally isn't a huge deal because you can change it. But if you put it out on the Ethereum blockchain, that's it. It's out there and there's not much you can do to pull it back.
1: So, what's going on with this Nokia thing? Yeah, so Nokia announced
0: in the last couple of days that they're launching a blockchain-powered Internet of Things Sensing Service, or IoT. And what they're essentially doing is they're targeting the smart cities trend that's going to be coming. So, mm-hmm. if, you, if you don't know, there's a, a lot of talk right now about so-called smart cities. And what they're going to be is cities that do a lot of things automatically. So no one's going to have to worry about them. They'll, everything will be connected and they'll all talk to each other. So your traffic lights will all talk to each other and sync up together and then talk to the cars that are driving through the city as well mm. and work out how best they can all work together to, to put traffic through. And, that's, mm. and then you know the traffic lights will then talk to the buildings and there'll just be a whole bunch of interconnectedness mm. in everything.
1: That's really interesting because, funnily enough, in Brisbane where we, we both live, and, the ambulance service paid or the emergency services paid for, I think it was 200 odd traffic lights in the city mm. to get kitted out with this thing. So the ambulances could trigger the lights as they go, Yeah, which is kind of interesting. And you can kind of see that, you know, IOT sort of stuff could be a framework for this sort of thing in the future.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Especially with like smart cars and automated cars coming in mm. when everything can talk to each other. Um, it's going to make a huge difference. And look, like, take it one step further, you know, take the traffic lights away and just have sensors on each corner that can, you know, send different signals to cars and work out when they need to tell cars to stop and sense Mm. hazards and all those kind of things. That's where things are going. And so, Nokia, having missed the smartphone revolution and managed to stay afloat (laughs) in the interim... um, they're deciding that they're going to get in early on the next revolution. And so they're, they're saying that they're going to be putting a whole bunch of IoT sensors into a bunch of different devices that people are going to be able to use in these cities. And they'll essentially hook it all up to existing networks on the blockchain.
1: Mm, that'd be really interesting because I guess one of the early groups we'll see on it is like um, disabled users. Mm. You know, people who are blind being able to sort of hook in somehow. Mm. With that Might be interesting to see.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, they're still hoping to run it on their software. They still want to make a lot of money from it, but it's really interesting to see that they're recognising this is a coming trend and they're implementing blockchain tech in with it and they're looking to really kind of be a front-runner mm. in the coming smart city tech. So, I guess
1: we'll probably see a bunch of other sort of city services companies doing that as we're looking for that as well. So, mm. I guess you've got... I mean, you've got IBM on it. You'll probably have Siemens jumping up and down because they Mm. make a bunch of trains and things like that. That would be super interesting.
0: Yeah, and it's just really interesting that when this is starting to happen, blockchains are getting to the point where they're beginning to be enterprise-ready as well. And so a whole bunch of things are kind of coming together to really start building these smart cities. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch. So, mate, what's going on with Microsoft?
1: Oh, yeah. So uh, according to one of their press releases, they were saying that basically there's, you know, one point... One billion people around the world who actually lack any form of legal, like, legal form of identity. So they're looking, what they're looking to do, in partnership with Accenture and Avenard, I guess they're a some kind of uh, consulting company. And what they're doing is they're creating a blockchain-based identity prototype on Microsoft Azure, so their cloud servers. And they're basically looking to provide ID for people who... Uh, decentralized IDs for people who don't have them already. Which is an interesting sort of idea. And they... Apparently, according to News BTC, Microsoft pointed to Bitcoin, Ethereum and Litecoin as three specific platforms that it thinks are suitable foundations for decentralized IDs. Decentralized
0: IDs are a really interesting one, though, aren't they? Why because are they
1: so important? That's yeah, why well, I don't fully get.
0: Well, the biggest thing right now with... Your identity is that when you, when someone wants to verify who you are, yeah. you have to give over all your information. So you have to give them your name, your address, your phone number, your license number, a photo of your passport, like maybe even your bank card number or whatever. There's like, depending on what you're doing, hmm. there's different degrees of how much information you need to get over. Right. So out there within many companies' databases is all your personal details that's just had to be taken for them to verify who you are. You know, your date of birth, oh. everything. But the problem is, is that if you can use that to verify who you are, someone else could perceivably use that to verify who you are.
1: So, I guess in the same way as you've got login with Facebook and login with Google, mm. this could be another sort of um, OAuth alternative that would just be, you know, login with your decentralized Microsoft ID.
0: Yeah, yeah. And even... Well, I I think the... I'm not sure about Microsoft specifically, but I know a lot of the conversation around this Civic. Civic is one of the ICOs that were really looking into this. And I used Civic for a crowd sale three months, three or four months ago, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And I found it quite good. I found it all worked pretty well. And what they propose to do is they take your... You input your information, and Mm -hmm. then it gets hashed. Right. And then all you have to do is give over that hash and that hash, as long as a company has that, they can check it up against the blockchain right. and if it's valid, then they know that it's, it's you. you know? mm. they're, they're building different algorithms in to test it all but the theory is, is that in the future, with a decentralized ID, all you'll have to give to anyone is just a hash mm. of all your personal information. Right. And that'll be enough. So you won't actually have to give over all the information itself. It'll be enough just to say, here's my entry on the blockchain. Right. Yeah.
1: Because you wonder if almost they'd want some kind of mechanism to access that data somehow, mm. like your date of birth, so they, say, mm. they can say happy birthday when it's your birthday?
2: Or Yeah, I think It'd the difference is see. once
0: once it goes to that stage, hmm. you can elect what you want to give right, over. Right, right. You know, whereas right, right now... you. Well, if you're being truthful, you you have to give nearly everything over. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting Microsoft's doing it. I'd like to see a bit more about how they, whether they're monetizing this or whether this is just something nice that they're doing. <laughs>
2: which, just like <laughs> yeah, <doubt>. For
1: benevolent <laughs> reasons. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I wonder what the catch is. Mm. Yeah. But. Good on them for at least giving it a shot.
1: So, um, yeah, next piece. Um, Google are training AI to write Wikipedia articles, according to the register. A team within Google Brain, so the, the web giant's crack machine learning research lab, they've taught software to generate Wikipedia-style articles by summarising information on, the, on web pages to varying degrees of success. So, the, uh, the author, K- uh, Katie-Anna Kwok, goes on to say, we're still a very long way off from effective text summarization, and while it's interesting, it'd probably be unwise to use a system like that to automatically generate Wikipedia entries for now. Anyway,
2: hmm.
0: so they're essentially pulling everything from a whole bunch of web pages and like aggregating it, and then filtering sort of it through some kind of deep learning like, mechanism. Yeah,
1: what is an important point? So how to like distinguishing what is a, a fact and what is a just an almost opinion, so you can just hone down all the facts and mm. sort of weave that together. Right. You can imagine a uh, AI trying to write something. Yeah. For now, not yeah. so good. Mm. Three years, it will take away your family.
0: Mate, I am so broke this week. Oh, yeah? I saw that Venezuela was launching their Petro and <laughs> you know how much I love Venezuela. And you know how much I think they are just... Their president, he just really knows what he's doing, they're ahead of the curve with everything, Mm, mm. and they launched their their own cryptocurrency. So, I bought, like, I mean, mortgage at the house, sold out cars, I've bought so much petro. (laughs) It's so exciting, man.
1: (laughs) So, how's the freefall going?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I've lost everything.
1: (laughs) So, following Venezuela launching their petro-crypto, Russia, Iran, and Turkey are also looking to be um, discussing coins. I mean... Turkey in the last week, um, one of their ministers said that look, we we really need to have a, you know, having a, uh, we need to get in on this while it's while it's cool, Mm. and um, despite the sort of the religious element that it draws speculation, so it could be against the laws of um, Islamic banking or something like that. Right. so some interesting things there, but I mean, Iran's uh, Ministry of ICT said so that they're testing at the moment.
0: I've been thinking about this recently, and the the biggest thing for me with all, with all this talk about countries launching their own cryptocurrency is is it actually what they're doing? Is it actually much different from how they do things now? Because the the reason that crypto mm. has become so popular isn't just because it's on a blockchain it's because it's on a decentralised
1: blockchain. Mm, It's borderless. So what's the point of having a country coin?
0: That's right. That's exactly right. And so I think, in a way, like when I first heard about this, I was like, oh, crypto really... Like, decentralised cryptos really need to keep up because countries are moving in on this. But the more I've thought about it, the more I've thought, well, the thing that people got really excited about with these cryptocurrencies is that they're decentralised and borderless and they're not centrally controlled. They're not dependent on one country. And these... Cryptos, as they're calling them, are just going to be the exact same thing as we have now, which is digital money, but on a blockchain that the central institutions control, just mm. like we have now. Mm. So I, I'm more and more skeptical that this stuff is actually going to be the, you know, their savior to cryptocurrencies mm. they're thinking it might be.
1: Because mm. unless you can exchange your Bitcoin for it and then pay your taxes in that national crypto, mm. then there's not really a lot of. I wouldn't find a lot of use for it. Mm. Tiny little headline, not really worth too much thought on. Uh, The Commodity Futures Trading Commission, uh, the CFTC, has offered a $100,000 bounty to crypto pump and dump whistleblowers.
0: Right. So for the uninitiated, crypto pump and dumps are these telegram groups where a whole bunch of investors sit in the telegram group and they've got a few whales, they call them, who are people that hold a lot of crypto. And... At a certain time, they say, let's start buying this one currency, Mm -hmm. pump the price up, Mm -hmm. get everyone all excited about it. Get a lot of social chatter. That's right. A whole bunch of people jump on thinking it's the next thing that's going to go to the moon. And then after it's hit a certain point, they all say, all right, let's pull the rug out. Let's take all our profits. And they'll all sell at the same time as well and essentially dump the price back down to normally below where it was. And the people in this group will have made a bunch of money, you know, in respect of where they started. But all the people that bought in on the hype, suddenly they've bought a coin at the top,
2: Hmm. and
0: now it's at the bottom. And they've lost a lot of money.
1: So, yeah, $100,000 reward. If you've come across one, report them to your local CFTC. Mate, you were reading this piece in... On you ping me the link. Um, what was that all about?
0: Yeah, mate, this one was really interesting. And it's, it's funny because uh, I think we were talking about Cointext last episode, or I was at least talking to you about it, which is essentially a, a, an app that Vin Armani and the CounterMarkets guys are developing to send Bitcoin Cash to phones. So you can really? essentially, if you've got some Bitcoin Cash in this wallet, you can message someone, send them Bitcoin Cash to their phone, it'll automatically create a wallet for them. Nice. And so this news article came out and it's essentially talking about how mobile cryptocurrency is booming in Africa and basically wherever banks aren't. And so it seems that the developing world is ahead of us in, in this regard. They've basically seen what crypto is doing and they've wanted it because it's, it's a lot more stable than the currencies in most of their places. And, they've, and a lot of them don't have computers. A lot of them don't have reliable access to technology. But what mm. all of them do have is a mobile phone. And a mobile phone can send texts.
1: Mm. So, here on the FOMO show, we absolutely love Africa, Southeast mm. Asia. We're going to be talking about these areas a lot over the next few years. Probably over the next decade we'll be chatting about these countries yeah. because, yeah, as, as you said, like, I mean, you observe with Africa, you know, while in the West we went from, you know, copper wires and then, you know, we went to, to move to wireless. Places like Africa, the Philippines, all these places, they've just jumped straight to wireless. And you've got, I mean, you look at the browser market share. So are they using Chrome Internet Explorer? It's all mobile phone browsers. Yeah. And mobile phones is where the internet's. it's where everything is happening there. Which is a total sort of step ahead of us in many ways. Mm, mm. So there's in, um, in the Philippines, there's an app called coins.ph. Now, it's being used by more than two million Filipinos, many of whom have never had a bank account. So what it lets them do is it actually lets them send money to stores or pay off bills or all kinds of things just from their phone.
0: Yeah, man. And so, in 2014, only 34% of adults in sub-Saharan Africa as well had a bank account, according to the World Bank. But at the same time, 12% of adults in the region had some kind of mobile-based money account. Wow. And the global average at that time was only 2%. So, wow. they were essentially six times the amount of people in sub-Saharan Africa had a mobile-based bank account compared to the rest of the world. So, sub-Saharan Africa is the world's leading adopter of mobile money service. It already accounts for 10% of the world's whole mobile subscriber base, and it's still expected to be the world's fastest-growing mobile subscriber region for many years to come. Essentially, mate, wherever bank accounts aren't part of everyday life, mobile money apps are the norm. And that's why we're seeing this, this big uptake, because until now, the people have had to use the bank's apps. They've had to go through the banking system mm. to get this stuff. And you think banks... ...operate on a a bit of a morally grey area here, I can tell you it's a lot worse in Africa. So the moment a lot of these guys found out about a method that wasn't controlled by the banks... They wanted a part of it.
1: Mm. So, I mean, you've got a few different cryptocurrencies that are working within the African sort of ecosystem. Um, for example, well, that's a, it's an entire continent, but I mean, <laughs> with these cryptos cross borders. I mean, there's a company M Pesa, M Pesa, Pesa. Now, I think they had an interview on Epicenter, I believe it was, where the founder, really cool lady, she was just been using Bitcoin and has been using it for a while because there's so many benefits to them. And they're working. In different currencies, all kinds of things. So there are a bunch of different cryptocurrencies that are really working with this area. You've got Stellar Lumens, which has been around for years, that's partnering with Flutterwave, which plugs into the M-Payser system, system, which is used by more than 20 million people in sub-Saharan Africa. 20 million. And it's just going to be growing further and further. More people get phones and more. And then you've got other companies, crypto aside, you've got Mastercard. They've spent years innovating here because they know that there's a massive unbanked population there. And they're working on a bunch of different mobile solutions there as well. Can't bring any to the top of my mind. But they've got a lab, uh, Mastercard Labs, and they're doing a huge amount of work um, in advancing the financial revolution in Africa.
2: Mm.
0: Because Africa. this is essentially the way for them to break out of a lot of the stuff that's gone on the last, well, essentially 100 years, you know? Like, you look at the influence that Western societies have had in Africa and what they've done there, you know? And we won't go into it all, it's, it's quite depressing and quite dark, but essentially, it's been Western companies and and governments that have been pulling the strings in Africa, really, mm. and they've, and have... You know, been controlling the monetary systems there and, and choosing where the money goes. And, mm. and I mean, there's been scandals with a lot of NGOs as well getting caught up in all that and not mm. allocating the funds where they should be. But this is a method here where people can actually really be their own bank and be their own bank from their phone.
2: Mm. You know, so if you, mm. and,
0: and look, if you want to employ someone in Africa to do something, no longer will you have to go through a whole bunch of mm. intermediaries to eventually get the money to them you can just literally text them or send mm, them a message mm, like mm, over WhatsApp mm. or whatever and pay <laughs> them in crypto. This is so exciting, you know? man. <laughs> like this is
1: so exciting. Like, because there are hundreds and hundreds of millions of people, billions of people who are just getting onto this whole thing. And this is just the mobile thing. I didn't really buy it enough because I'm not getting in on the mobile crypto apps enough. I yep. just use one of them. But yep. we've got to watch that because that's so important to so many people. everyone
0: is, mm. man. You know, everyone is on their phones. Like, yeah. and... I think there's such a power in like using existing technology to do something new. Mm. You know, because at the moment with the way we're doing crypto at the moment, like you have to install your wallets, you've got to send things to exchanges and two-factor authenticate everything and mm. and then if you want to get it back out of the exchange, you know, everyone's taking fees and then you've got to put it on your another wallet mm. on a on a on a desktop somewhere or on a laptop or whatever. You got to worry about the different addresses you send it to whereas with this
1: Mobile is solving a the UX problem. Yeah. Yeah,
0: it's literally, yeah. you send it to a phone number. That's it.
1: I'm not going to lie. I don't understand neural networks fully. But here's what I do understand. You've got inputs, you've got a bunch of layers, and then you've got outputs. So it seems to me, now, do correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, if, if I'm wrong, correct me in our Slack. Do jump in and tell me I'm an idiot. But what it seems to do is you up, drop an image in as, say, the input, And then um, you've got a bunch of layers that you split up that input and you interpret that in a bunch of different ways. Now, just from my very simple knowledge of it, let's say you're trying to do image recognition of dogs. Um, You you have your neural network. One thing's looking for eyes. One thing's looking for whiskers. One thing's looking for paws. And it's sort of dividing up the task of recognizing things into smaller parts. Mm. Now... Do correct me if I'm wrong, obviously. But they're very new, and they're being used for a lot of things. Uh, Voice recognition, um, image recognition, a bunch of advanced tasks. But there's been a paper, a scientific paper that came out, that proposed a Po-Trojan, which is sort of like a a Trojan for neural networks. And the idea is you would put something in as, uh, as the input that would sort of bury itself in this neural network... So this paper is suggesting that you either tweak an existing neural network um, or you build in this from the start, but you could basically build it in so that nothing happens. And well, it just, the program acts like normal unless a specific input is put in, you know, like the, the hypnosis movies where they like assassinate presidents and stuff. And they Mm. just say one word. They're like, Mr. John Elliot. And then he's just like, go kill the president. Like, Until just the right keyword goes in, that thing would not activate. So you could potentially um, either deny people access to their devices, fail to recognize a stop sign in a car when you're um, looking at traffic lights and things. Basically, the perfect way of ruining image recognition, voice recognition, and other things that we're using neural networks for.
0: So in this big automated world that we're talking about and and getting really excited about, these neural networks that everything's going to be using could be vulnerable to a Trojan like this, and that could essentially shut something down catastrophically.
1: Yeah, yeah, only when the right input's there. So it could be the stop sign that your target drives past every day in their automated car just needs a small clown standing next to it. And then all of a sudden, the input changes. That triggers X, Y, Z. That's the thought behind it. It's theoretical at this stage. But it's a very interesting sort of idea that it can just sort of inject itself in there, uh, its own train of thought, and then spit out the answer that it wants to at Mm. the right time.
0: I wonder if if, if the the way the blockchain works is going to help combat that, though. Because you can code something, and then using a blockchain, you can know when that's changed. If you're hashing everything, if you're like hashing the code, every block that came before it, and then someone tries to change something in there, the hashes are going to be different.
1: So the black boxes in a car is just going to be a blockchain?
0: <laughs> well, it, might, it would probably run on the blockchain. And so, I mean, I've, I've heard theories of them tying different parts of the chain together and making them dependent on other parts of the chain. So if one part of the chain changes... um the it it would be nearly impossible to let's say someone want to do like a fifty one percent attack to change let's say there was a an individual chain for the traffic light, as you say, and you know, someone did a fifty one percent on that blockchain to try and change the code so that a clown will an input of a clown (laughs) will send the the automatic car haywire. If everything is tied to those other chains, they'd have to do a fifty one percent attack on those other changes as well to change them too before they could change the chain they actually want right. to change. Right. And if you tied it to like the whole Ethereum blockchain, the chances of actually changing that's impossible. So I guess tying in more layers of... I think tying in more layers of immutable code and tying them to other parts of the, of the neural network. Right. To create redundancies, mm. you know, so everything's kind of interdependent. Now, obviously, the problem with that is if you want to send an update and all the codes are mutable and interdependent, and there's a vulnerability identified, you can't, you might have issues sending that update. Ooh. Hmm.
1: You know, the key, the, the takeaway at the end of the paper, they're going, look, the inner workings of a neural network are a lot like a black box. You don't know what's in it, only what goes in and what comes out. If it gets hacked, we may not know until it's too late. Hmm. We haven't checked in on uh, Dan, Dan, the ICO man in a while. He's our. Uh, U.S. based, uh, U.S. based talking head slash pundit.
0: Yeah, look, he's gone a little bit quiet recently. He hasn't been too eager to come onto the show. Mm. I think he's been caught up in a in a few hearings mm, um,
1: here and there.
0: Yeah, yeah, and look, I, I don't want to talk for him, but I think some of his business ventures have had a bit of a setback. But anyway, he's back on the horse. He's he wants to come back on the show. And look, we we like having Dan on it. It hey. keeps us grounded. It gives yeah. us a bit of a perspective yeah. about
1: things. Yeah a yardstick for, yeah for uh for where you are
0: at he's line. like a canary in the coal mine isn't he yeah let's give him a call <laughs> what's so,
2: so, People who said that this was going to be a corn artist game, that this was going to be a scammer game. Hey, you're gonna
0: lose all your money. My <laughs> wife still doesn't believe oh, me. good times.
1: Hey, Dan, you there?
0: Joe, sorry, I was just uh, just reminiscing on good
1: times. What have you got us got for us today, Dan?
0: Well, boy, Joe, this has to be probably the biggest deal I've ever put together. The cherry, cream, and cake of crypto creations, Joe. I call it. Ultimate pomp.
1: Sounds spectacular, Dan.
0: Spectacular doesn't even begin to cut a Joe this is cutting edge tech I've teamed up with Pump and Dump Incorporated to design software that logs into almost every crypto enthusiast telegram there is it sits in these chats, these boiler rooms of trading teams and works out when a pump is happening then, and this is the important part Joe, it sends it back to Ultimate Pump HQ and they filter it through some revolutionary software some incredible innovation along with all the the pumps coming from all the other groups and feeds trading advice to an exclusive telegram group just for ultimate pump subscribers they get the inside scoop joe trade accordingly and make more money than you can imagine
1: wow so this is just a, a paid aggregator for everyone else's pump and dumps then dan
0: well yes it is joe but wait there's more for those that sign up for ultimate dump plus you will get access to another revolutionary technology a direct feed from our bot that starts pump and dumps on those Telegram groups we use a revolutionary AI to pose as reputable members of the Telegram chats and coordinate the pumps ourselves so they know on the pump but then then Joe and this is a secret sauce we let ultimate dump plus members know when the bots are about to signal for a dump too meaning they get in before everyone else even those using ultimate pump
1: wow dan this sounds this sounds incredible so um how much does it cost for uh, our subscribers to get in on that
0: well joe i've got a special deal for your listeners today for just three easy payments of 500 ethereum each they can get in on ultimate pump now joe Ultimate Dump Plus. I know your listeners are asking about it. I can hear their thoughts from here in my mansion, right next to my Lamborghini. Ultimate Dump Plus. Special deal today, Joe. I'm going to drop the price drastically. We're going to bring it down from 5,000 Ethereum, Joe, all the way down into the basement to 1,000 Ethereum. That's right, Joe. 1,000 Ethereum every year. Guaranteed you will make that money back in one month. All you got to do is sign up right now, Joe. The clocks are ticking 24 hours from when this podcast comes out, Joe. That's when you sign up. If your listeners get in them, I'll keep that price down in the basement, Joe. It's only going to be there for a short little while. But when it comes, Joe, when they sign up, the whole crypto world will open to them like a pretty flower.
1: Wow, Dan. So is any of this legal?
0: Don't know, don't give a damn, Joe. I gotta go. I gotta run. See you
1: later. Absolute pleasure. He's one of the people that you think, you know, maybe he's just a real dodgy type who's one day going to catch. He, one day, Dan is going to, he's going to just grab the morsel of just a beautiful idea, mm. legal, mm. legal mm. and beautiful, mm. non scammy. Yeah, and he's going to make billions. Well, th- the thing is, he's already making billions. I mean, he's in a mansion.
0: That's- We're sitting here in a little studio. Yeah. Look, as always, we do not recommend anything Dan sells. <laughs> and we will not be putting the link to Ultimate Pump in our show notes. We're gonna take some time out to do a little segment on space and some really cool stuff coming out of space. I know this is a this was this is technically a blockchain podcast, but as regular listeners know, we've never been shy of Digging more into other technology because it all kind of touches, you it's know, the future, everything, everything touches everything else. And you know, blockchain is probably going to end up being in a lot of this stuff anyway. But it's the other The other thing to say is it's just cool, you know, mm. it's just really cool. Mm-hmm. So, the first one is that SpaceX, uh, Elon Musk's space company of, of Tesla fame, they tried catching a six million dollar nose cone from their rocket with a big net strapped to a boat.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's literally that is as complex as it is. So in this whole rush to getting reusable rockets, that nose, uh, the fairing they call it, is worth six million bucks. So every time that drops to the to you know into the sea, that six million dollars they sort of going to wash up in the Bahamas somewhere or whatever. So that drops their launch cost by something like ten percent, six to ten percent. I think it's about ten percent. Mm. And obviously, dropping launch costs with these reusable rockets is. Super cool.
0: So, is this the really heat resistant top of the rocket? Is that?
1: Yeah. So, it's the heat resistant top of the rocket, and it's got these sort of um, uh, parafoils. I think it is that yep. sort of pop out and reduce the speed, at the deceleration. Right. Yeah, decelerate the the nose cone as it falls back to earth, so yep. they could technically catch it. Now they missed it by a hundred, few hundred meters, but it did land in the water. So I'm guessing they were able to retrieve it. But that is just super cool, man. Like, you're catching a bit of rocket on a boat. Yeah. Like, with a big net. Yeah. Now, if you look up the pictures on Google, it looks cool. Like, it's just a boat with a freaking massive net. it be a classic catch, mate. It's just great. <laughs> like, they just need to, like, pl- like program in a little owzat sound effect, yeah. like, from all the cricket fans. Yeah. <laughs> just, uh, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. The next one in a bit of science fiction, um, which could be end up being reality. Mm. I, I don't understand the physics of this. To be honest with you, there is a space catapult startup called Spin Launch, and they're raising, looking to raise thirty million dollars. Now, the founder of this uh, created a. He was a co-founder of a company that was bought by Google. It did some kind of aerial imaging. He's been super keen on his like space and air, aeronautical ideas. His company is looking to basically use a. Um, uh, they're looking to use a centrifuge spinning at a really fast rate to build up momentum. Now centrifuges can build up huge amounts of energy, and then they want to use that energy to harness it at a specific point to launch something into space at three thousand miles an hour. So, two options if the physics works. You could just fling an object into space on its own, which would take a huge amount of energy and heat and all that kind of stuff. I'm yep. not a physicist. The other option is, you know, it, the catapult launches it a huge amount into the air and then it's got supplementary rockets on that oh. thing and just continues taking it yeah, up. Yeah, right. So I'm not sure how it's going to be working and they've only just come out of stealth I mode. Look how those
0: catapults work on the aircraft carriers where they sling them out oh. and then they turn their engines on once they're, once they're going.
1: Yeah, yeah, and just, just launch them out. Yeah. yeah. And just upwards. Yeah.
2: <laughs> point it at the sky instead of... To the moon.
1: <laughs> Put a little Dogecoin on there. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't understand science, to be honest with you. Um, it's for greater minds of my
0: own. It could save a lot of money, though. Like if you're, you Because know, at the moment, they're having to launch rockets from the ground to take stuff up to space all the time. And they've got to have enough fuel in there... And the rocket's got to be good enough to be able to get the rocket from the ground all the way up to low Earth orbit. Whereas this way, mm. they can use something that essentially can just be reused over and over and over Mm. again Mm -hmm. to launch it most of the way up and then have a smaller rocket on it just to get it the rest of the way.
1: Mm. Because from what I do know, centrifuges have a huge amount of... You know, with a lot of weight in them, those centrifuges can get a huge amount of power and energy... So how are they going to do it? We'll watch that space. It's called Spin Launch.
0: So just on that, there are a bunch of cool space startups out there at the moment. So if you want to get a feel of the market, there's a great chart from CB Insights from 2017 showing the startups market map. You'll see some familiar names like Planetary Exploration, Blue Origin, and Moon Express. Uh, but there's a whole bunch of stuff in there. It's really worth taking a look if it's, if it's a space you are interested in investing in. Obviously, we're not going to give any investment advice on it, but I mean, we're just looking at the diagram here in in the studio, and there are a bunch of companies that are Mm -hmm. that are looking for. Startup Capital.
1: Yeah, on C B Insights. Um, so a lot of some of them are private companies, especially in the space sector, but with C B Insights, it's a really cool website worth watching actually. I follow it for a lot of like tech research on companies coming up. They love doing these sort of market maps where they show all of the startups that they could possibly find mm. in certain sectors. So this is the space one, but they've got them for all kinds of areas. So C B Insights, just as a side note, is really worth following. Cool. So, this section on privacy and security, we're going to be talking about malware, antivirus, and changing your operating system. So, tell us a bit more about antivirus and malware. It's a bit obvious to a lot of people. We've probably all got some form of one or the other, or a little bit of guilt that we haven't got malware protection. It seems to be a common one. Not naming any names. Not naming any names. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Me.
0: Look, there's a lot of antivirus and malware getting around. And the thing is, like, with this whole crypto thing and all the tech that's coming out, I know, me personally, I've been in a a lot more GitHub repositories and open source software downloads and things are coming up in Telegram and Slack and I'm clicking on them because they look interesting and people are recommending them. That kind of stuff you never used to do. Like, Mm. you would always make sure you were downloading from a reputable source and you'd never... Just click on a link in an email that someone you know randomly sent you that you didn't know who it was from. But uh, now, just in the way the space is, like you just get so used to downloading stuff from GitHub and mm. clicking on things that people link in a Slack or a Telegram, mm. you don't even think about it. But there could be malware in that. There could because be viruses.
1: You're it. a target. If you have cryptocurrency, you're an easy target. Yeah. So what they want is just to own your computer and own your monies. Mm. That's right. So, how do we sort that? Um, well, I switched to Linux. Oh, job done. End of show.
0: That's it. <laughs> Next section. Uh, no, I, I switched to Linux a couple of weeks ago for this reason. I've I, been thinking about doing it for a long time. Problem was, I was so comfortable with Windows. Like, mm. I'm used to Windows. And the thing that really prompted me to do it is there's a podcast I follow called the Complete Privacy and Security Podcast and I think we've talked about them before, but we'll chuck the link in the show notes anyway. And they're in the process of switching everything they they do over to Linux. And the reason they essentially decided to just go full Linux is because Linux is a pretty specialized operating system. Not many people use it. It's essentially just developers and people that know a lot about computers and the system. So it, it actually has a lot less malware and spyware and viruses developed for it. Because it's just not that big of a target. It's just not. It's kind of like what Mac used to be. It's essentially a higher hanging fruit than Windows and and Mac, which is generally. And we've said this before. All you really need to do to try and stop yourself getting as much, you know, becoming a target. Like if you make yourself a harder target, it's natural that people are going to go for someone else. And you use Linux as well, don't you?
1: Yeah. So I've got a, a separate device that I have Linux on by default, um, which run securely there. Now, the reason I love Linux is because it locks away a lot of the parts of the operating system um, so that it's less easy to be overtaken by these sorts of uh, issues. But yeah, I love the power of Linux. Um, yeah, there's a lot you can do with it. You can just open up that terminal, mm. type in a single command that updates your operating system, Dude, all it, your software, amazing, all your drivers, man. all at once.
0: Yeah, I, that, that's like the biggest thing that blew me away about Linux is I can literally open up the terminal, control alt T. And I can type one command in, type my password in, and all of my programs will get updated. Mm. Just like that. I don't need to download some like dodgy all program updater like you used to do for Windows. Every time you turn your computer on, you go in terminal, update all your stuff. Mm. It's awesome. And if you want to turn a firewall on, it's in there by default. You just type in literally sudo install hey. or sorry, sudo activate UFW, I think it is which is right. like the, the basic firewall that Linux uses, and then it will essentially block most of the ports by default, right. and you have to open them if you want to use them, and it's great.
1: That's super keen, man. I didn't yeah, know man. that command. That's keen.
0: Yeah, I think that command's right. With,
1: <laughs> with Ubuntu, when you're getting into it, there's just, you're going to be doing a lot of Google searching. The, yep. That command prompt can be really intimidating at yep. first, but you Google some cool commands for it. You'll find out pretty fast how to do what you need to do yeah. yeah. You can actually spend no time in there at all or you can get things done really quickly that you would have to do a lot of clicking for.
0: Yeah, and look, I used Ubuntu once before and I didn't use it much and I could barely—I think it was about 10 years ago, I could barely remember how it worked. So I came in pretty fresh and I was really surprised at how easy it was for me coming over from Windows. Pretty much everything that I needed, I could get pretty easy just with a few Word go- bits of Google. documents, Excel stuff. That's right. And what I couldn't, Like my, um, let's say you use Microsoft Office or something, you can install a, uh, like a virtual box Mm -hmm. and that's essentially just a program you put on your computer and you can install Windows in like a virtual computer. Really easy to do and then you can just install all your programs in that and use Windows like you normally would. It's just a lot safer because it's in Linux Mm -hmm. and, you know, you're not hosting it on Windows. So... Yeah, I was really surprised, mate. Um, really, really surprised at how easy it was to come over. And I've been loving it. To be honest, I've been two weeks. I've been clean for two weeks.
2: On Windows.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's been great.
1: Mm. So, if you, if you use your computer for mainly the internet, a few different, um, you know, cryptocurrency wallets um, and some popular software... Chances are you can get away with everything on Linux. You've got Chrome. You've got um, alternatives to the entire Microsoft Office suite. Um, And if that's what you use your computers for, go for it. If you like gaming and uh, using Photoshop and things like that, a little trickier in Ubuntu Mm. or Linux more specifically, but there's a huge amount you can do with it. And it's faster. You can have the slowest laptop in the world and Linux will cut through it like a knife through butter. <laughs> like it's fast.
0: And you can dual boot too. So like I've kept my Windows install. Right. We jumped in and played a game on the weekend, you and I, and yeah. it was good fun and but like and I just loaded back into Windows just for that. And I jumped straight back out, went back onto my Linux install and that's what I do. Pretty much all my stuff on there, all my work and nice. Yeah, like so. If you want an, a, a like, I won't say it's easy because you have to install a new operating system and you do have to learn some stuff. But if you want a relatively easy way to make yourself a lot less of a target and quite a lot more secure, especially if you're hosting wallets mm-hmm. on your own computer, like if you're hosting wallets and they got more than five hundred dollars in them. In, like, take the time to install Linux. Get them off Windows and get them off Mac because it's just not worth it. Like, mm. someone is going to program some malware. You're going to pick something up somewhere and they're going to be able to log in and strip your private key off and take all your money.
1: Which is not good. Which is not good. Yeah. Good cool. So, yeah, Sunday afternoon. If you've got a Sunday afternoon and a 16-gig USB disk, you can get Linux cracking on your laptop. And GLB. if you need
0: some help, jump on our Slack. Uh, we're always around... We've both got experience you're now. Just so. a can of worms there. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on outside. Like.
1: Cool. Does code have a duty of care? There was an article I was reading in the Register um, saying that liability for artificial intelligence won't be easy. Um, they pointed at a framework that was laid out in 2010 by um, Gabriel, uh, Gabriel uh, Halavi. Um, who is a professor at Israel's Ono Academic College. And he laid out three possible models, legal models, for criminal liability. So, if an AI program goes really wrong, it could be treated by the courts as an entity with insufficient mental capacity, which is interesting. Uh, Sorry, insufficient mental capacity for criminal intent. The software, its makers and operators would then be off the hook unless it was found the programmers or its users, had instructed the action. Mm. So, programmers could be held liable as accomplices to a criminal act by the by an AI if the crime was deemed a, quote-unquote, natural or probable consequence of the software's operation. That's kind of interesting, because they point mm. to this Japanese factory worker that was killed by this robot arm that mistook him for a motorcycle. And wow. sounds horrific. I mean, these things yeah. do happen. Yeah, They're not... High, like you—that was a few years back. Where is mm. it? Like robot kills, robot arm kills man. Yeah, but that's like really dangerous. But like in that case, it was sort of it should have spotted that it was not a motorcycle. It was not a motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. You have no wheel. Yeah, <laughs> and but, but nah, that's deep. Like yeah, seeing something like that would be
0: yeah, horrific. It would. And the and the thing is, uh, naturally, the thoughts go to the people that created it. The people that program it, mm. because the question would be, well, it was reasonably foreseeable that if you built something that could mistake a human for a motorcycle, <laughs> and it was putting like motorcycles together, Yeesh. that someone that got in the way of it could could be seriously injured if not killed. And uh, th- this is, th- and they're right. This is where the interesting distinction comes between: is it a tool, or is it something more than a tool? You know, and, and, and it's really quite scary that we're starting to have to ask ourselves this question. Like, will, will we view robots as a tool or something more than a tool? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, in my mind, they're still essentially inanimate objects that have been programmed to respond to a certain group of functions, okay? Um, but you could say the same thing about, you know, animals, like essentially like an animal is is uh it's not an inanimate object but it's it's an organic object but it's also been programmed to respond to certain stimuli and respond certain ways to different things and yes there's a certain amount of personality in it but like if a, you know here in Australia if a crocodile goes and kills someone normally what happens is they go out and kill the crocodile
1: because yeah. they're like
0: we can't have a crocodile around that's doing this
1: not um, one of those dangerous humans yeah <laughs> no no
0: yeah you're but right but i right. think like i, I think it's taking it a bit far, saying that they need to put it on trial as a as a criminal act because you know you don't put animals on trial for criminal acts. You just put them down if they you know if they're found mm. to do the, the, the. You put humans on trial for criminal acts. Well, some some state entities do anyway. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's an interesting thought, you know. Like where does the where does the liability for the programmer stop, and where does the liability for the thing that's programmed start? and how do you work out who bears the burden, the percentage? What did they say?
1: Well, they're actually saying... Um, well, they pointed out that finding an AI system criminally liable doesn't help clarify who to punish, and noted that legal defences invoked for people, such as insanity, coercion, intoxication, could be applied to software in situations where, for example, a computer virus has been found mm. on the affected system. So, for example, if there's a virus on a Tesla car... That you know causes that one to crash and that owner to die,
0: mm.
1: you know it's Tesla's not responsible because of that virus. It's you know the the AI was insane, mm.
0: <laughs> but they could be negligent for not making something to stop the
1: virus. Yeah, so that's what they go on to say after that. So they're saying AI software could be guilty of negligence um, if the code had a duty to care for something and then failed to do so. Yeah. So you can see why Tesla have. They've got a um, a bounty where they offer, I think it's $10,000, I can't remember, maybe yeah. 100000 I can't remember. Yeah. If you're finding flaws in the Tesla, in the Tesla software, you're getting money mm. because it's so important. Yeah. Because this is live yeah. on yeah. the line. Yeah. So it goes to, like, how far are you responsible for your code as a developer? Mm. Like, you've got to build in some reasonable safeguards, like noticing it's a motorcycle yep. instead of a human. Yeah. How else does how else do you get responsible for your code?
0: Yeah, it's it's really funny this came up because I actually talked about this at a at a meetup last year. It was oh, yeah. a, it was a topic. It was essentially uh, I was talking to a bunch of developers and it was about how far are you responsible for your code? And it, essentially, the talk came about from that recent Equifax breach. Mm-hmm. You remember when in America, where 150 million or something people's details were breached, and the company bear the old bore the ultimate blame now. They kind of got a free pass from the government because they're a government contractor. But there are lawsuits now in the works, private lawsuits against them. So someone's at least trying to hold them to account. Mm. Um, but it's it's even more relevant now with these things like AI and smart contracts and just how interconnected our world is becoming and how much it's reliant on code. A fault in any of this code can land at you know, the company, developers... A lot of people in really hot water, um, and the problem is, is that as someone that is coding, you know, everyone else really expects them to do their job because they don't understand it. You know, like Tesla has a whole bunch of different departments, but the one department that could really be expected to know what to do about these things is the the coding department. You know, you're not going to ask some factory worker to to audit the code and tell you whether it's mm. it's going to mm. work or not. So there is this concept called vicarious liability which is in nearly every legal system which essentially says that if you have a certain duty of care um, and that can come about through something like you know programming something and having expertise Mm -hmm. then you are vicariously liable. So, you are... Right. Like, even though it might not seem like you're directly liable for something happening, if you had that responsibility... Right. ...and you had the capacity with that duty, then you are actually liable right. for it. Right. Um, and the real question is, should you have reasonably known that this could have happened? Mm.
1: Um
0: so that's kind of where things are, things are right now and where they're going, you know, and I think it's only going to get worse as time goes
1: on. Do you remember that random case a few years back, random case, Toyota had to recall a bunch of cars mm. maybe five years ago? It yep. was some time ago. Yeah. But it was, I think it was a computer that was overriding the braking function or yeah. something like that. Now, we're getting more and more digital with these cars. Now, obviously, they're going to get strict. They're going to be strict, but oh, I don't want to be that dark bearer of bad gloom.
0: Yeah. I mean, because, like, literally all it could take is one bracket in the wrong place, you know? Like, and, and it could bring the whole thing tumbling <laughs> down, you know? Like, a, a critical <laughs> failure like that at the wrong time. should not laugh. Yikes, Some kind yeah. of bug. Well, you know, a function that's meant to do one thing and does the opposite because they've written, you know, stop instead of start or um, continue instead of break in the code. That could be all it takes. So, oh, it's, it's scary, mm-hmm. man. Like, there's a, there's a lot of liabilities,
1: So if you're a developer, how do you safeguard yourself?
0: Yeah, so the biggest thing for developers is that you really need to manage your personal risk. Um, And one of the ways you can do that is be very clear about what you're doing and not doing. So it's true for both the employee and the consultant and um, anyone in between. Now, if you're being asked to do a job, Mm -hmm. you need to be very clear about what job you are being asked to do and what you're not being asked to do. And if possible, confirm that in writing. So right it can be as simple as um, uh, yep you know like an email saying yep I can do that just to confirm this is what I'm doing dot point dot point dot point just to confirm this is not what I'm doing dot point dot point dot point. and then you got it in writing that you're not doing a certain amount of stuff ask yourself what a reasonable person would expect in your position for you to do and if you think that there's some things that you should should be done you know but you don't really have the expertise to do it don't just not do it mm. suggest that you engage someone else, you know. Say, look, I'm, I can't do this myself, but I really think that you should build in some really good security parameters in this, or like, you know, put some extra code in here that will perform this extra function. I can't do it, but here's a guy who I think mm. can do it, you know. That's kind of passing the duty of care ball off from you to someone else because you've, you've, and it's, and then it's up to the person getting you to do the job, whether they take that or not. Mm. Um, especially with these, the smart contracts and a lot of this more. Uh, enterprise level code suggests an auditor. Like suggests that as a part of your process, you get the code audited by someone else because that extra set of eyes could be the difference between picking nothing up and picking something up.
1: So, what tips do you have for someone who's um, someone who's brief, someone who's trying to hire programmers and developers for their projects?
0: Yep. So you want to describe clearly what you want and what you don't want. Um, same thing confirm what they will and won't be responsible for uh, for doing and I'd build in there too just say hey if you think something should be done I'm not technical like you know you can even say like, I'm not technical myself but if you think that I'm missing something please suggest mm, it mm-hmm. uh, so we can make sure that this all works properly
1: um. One little point on that. I used to do some um, project management for a team of web develop- web developers, and I found if there's one thing you do, brief exactly what you need and don't leave room for guesswork, mm. because especially when it comes to you know some pieces of software, as soon as you know you as a developer might guess that you know this is what needs to be done, but what's obvious to you as a developer may not obvi- be obvious to the person who's briefing you.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So,, so be, do question the briefs.
0: Yeah, be very clear. Um, and and again, pass the duties of care where possible to someone else. you know, so be very clear that you you aren't um, competent in an area. if you don't know what's what's going on, that's why you're getting someone to do it for mm-hmm. you. Um, so you wanna where possible, make the language reflect that because if it all goes pear shaped, that whatever you've got written down there is what people are going to come back and look at and say, was he thinking about this? Was she thinking about that? Um, and you just want to make sure you're covering yourself in that case. And look, we're talking about developers there, but that's that's pretty practical for anyone out mm, there. No that's good what, tips, man. No matter what you're in, like if you want to manage your risk and if you want to manage your duty of care, be, just get stuff in writing and be very clear about what you're doing and not doing because then there's no room for someone to come back in six months' time or two years' time or five years' time and say, you were meant to do this or you didn't do this properly. Mm. Um, It's just a really good practice to protect yourself.
1: But Mm. that's so important.
0: Yeah. yeah. It it honestly is, man. Like, wherever Mm. there's misunderstanding, chaos reigns. That's what happens. And wherever Mm. chaos reigns in today's society, that's a lawsuit. Unfortunately.
1: Pro tips here on the FOMO show. (laughs) Oh, we got a voicemail left to us from uh, our roving South African reporter, Jordan. I think he just moved to Turkey after a strange incident that he had with the Saudis when he went over to, the, uh, to Jeddah or wherever.
0: Yeah, look, we've kind of lost track of him for a while. It's, it's, it's been increasingly hard to get in contact with him. As usual, he's not putting in articles. So anyway, I guess we'd better listen to the message.
1: You have one new voice message message received yesterday the 26th of february 2018
2: at 9 53 a.m oh hello farmer fellas i was just going to check in uh, uh, right first thing i haven't received any money recently now i'm not going to name names i'm not going to pick up a problem but uh i've got to pay my i've got outgoings here i was just going to say you know if you if you'd forgotten by accident just let me know uh second of all interesting little chat I was talking to this bloke he came around to the town he turned out to be a politician from Turkey right and he was saying oh no cryptocurrency is wrong it's a scam it's all this it's against the Islamic law all these things it's speculation I said look I said now his name was like Ahmet Tanrikulu he's like an MP or something like that something in Turkey and he goes out and uh, look I'm telling him I'm saying look crypto is the future Turkey has to get on its own crypto before it's too late, because huh? otherwise everybody's going to have crypto except Turkey. So I'm telling him, look, I've done it before, I've done it in Venezuela, I've done it in Zimbabwe, I've got experience around the world on this, right? But then, guess what? He takes my idea, goes to the Turkish parliament, he says, look, we've got to do it. He, another classic Jordan Cronia idea... Taken. Fully stolen. Wouldn't believe it, eh? So, I'm going to go and speak to Erdogan directly, right? I'm not having this. This is the, the last time people take my ideas, huh? Eh? Not this time. I'm going straight to Istanbul. I'm going to find Mr. Erdogan. I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to say, look, you, Mr. glue need to sort this out ASAP. I'll keep you posted from there.
0: So you've got an update on one of the tools we featured in an earlier episode, Joe. Yeah,
1: we featured on-chain FX. There's a page on our website. If you go onto our website, FOMO.show, go into tools, there's a page for on-chain FX. Now, I'm going to update the page to reflect this bit that we're going to talk about now. They've added two really interesting metrics. Um, So chain effects really cool website for filtering cryptocurrencies by a bunch of interesting metrics mm. including the Vladimir Club cost so how much does it cost you to buy one percent of one percent of the total supply of a certain coin so bitcoins like three million dollars to get one percent of one percent of the total supply some of them are you know PIVX is seventy six thousand dollars things like that they've added two new really interesting metrics and um, price if BTC normalised supply and price if BTC normalised supply to 2050. Um, uh, to, to 2050. Sounds a bit long. What does that mean? It's saying, assuming every single coin had just 21 million in circulation because some coins have 100 million, some have 250. Yeah, right. How do you compare them head to head? Now, I've actually been doing this on a spreadsheet, mm. just dividing them all, their market cap, mm. by 21 million. So mm. if they were the same as Bitcoin, what would the price be? Yeah. So then it kind of gives you a good gauge to go, how is this compared That's to Bitcoin? It's really good. And they've actually built this in. I actually didn't even realize that it was a thing that needed to be done because yep. I'd just been doing it in an Excel sheet. Yeah. And now they've done it. It's super cool. So it's basically, it says, you know, if there were just 21 million EOS, how much would EOS cost? Yep. So then it means, oh, you can see, oh, it's either overpriced or underpriced. And you Mm. see a lot of coins out there and you're like, that could be better than Bitcoin. Yeah. And it's 36 bucks if it had the same amount in circulation as Bitcoin. So it gives you a good gauge.
0: And you'll see some people go, like, they'll look at a coin that has, like, a, a huge supply, like billions of coins yeah. and i will be like, It's so cheap per coin. Like it's yeah. it's awesome. Like yeah, it's really, yeah. really cheap per coin. But that's just because there's so many of them. And it seems like in some people's heads that's like a that's a plus. You know, but really that what that's doing is it's putting everything on an equal playing field and you can really see like yeah. how much everything else is worth comparative yeah. to it. Yeah.
1: Because you do see some things that yeah they're like, oh twenty cents and there are only a hundred billion of them. But you're like, well, yeah. that's actually like that's a lot yeah 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 it's yeah. so a lot of coins it's a good way of just normalizing all of the coins yeah. to one sort of price yeah assuming there was the same total number of coins for each of them mm. if that doesn't make sense bit weird check it out on chain fx you can find the link uh, on our website um there's, we've put together a cool page it's one of our favorite tools yeah if you haven't been on it jump on the site have a look it's so cool
0: So what's our crypto of the week this week, mate? So this one
1: is called Orctus. It's a smart contract platform, smart contract powered retirement plans. So they're about to go into ICO. Now, I heard about them on VentureBeat. I haven't done enough research to say, oh, I'm going to pick this up or not. But it's a really interesting use of smart contracts for retirement plans. So what it's basically, from what I've managed to grasp from it, you put in your your ideas like your plans of here's how i want to retire here's my risk profile here's what i'm interested in it will get your balance of cryptocurrencies actual you know funds etfs things like that um and other assets and it will split your um your cash across those reducing um And increasing transparency, supposedly, through the whole process. Now, they're saying that they've built, they're going to be building in this sort of robo advisor, and um, they're also going to allow users on the network, um, users on the platform, to be able to sort of contribute ideas and things like that and get rewarded from other users for creating cool portfolios and things like that. Really interesting idea to help the sort of retirement market. Um, so, you sort of set your goals, pick the investments you want. They give you an optimized portfolio, and supposedly you just relax and enjoy your life, trusting in these uh, smart contracts.
0: Right. Okay. And it, it seems like just from the little I've looked at it that they're, they're employing financial experts to, quite sorry, quote unquote, financial experts to do the the work, like provide recommendations, um, and you know, if you, I guess, if you assign your portfolio portfolio over to like an automatic portfolio, that'll probably. Be, be a part of the investment process. But they kind of say that it's only the ones who are proven to be financial experts. So I assume there's some kind of uh, voting mechanism there or performance mechanism or
1: yeah. um, deep learning. or So, yeah, they're paid for their advice if it turns out to be sound, supposedly according to VentureBeat. Um, and when the expert provides portfolio suggestions and predictions, users pay only when those predictions are correct. In that sense, the token is designed to incentivize and reward good performance and good behaviour on the platform and give users greater peace of mind. That's according to a piece in VentureBeat, which you can find in the show notes.
0: I guess the ultimate question is, why would you... Why would you, if you're investing in cryptos already, why would you trust your money to these guys as opposed to just investing in uh, cryptocurrencies and other investments yourself?
1: Now, I think the big thing for this would be diversification. Mm. That's one of the key things, and as part of that diversification, spreading yourself amongst a bunch of things, but actually reducing fees. Now, if you're picking index funds, ETFs, things like that, which yeah. what I like to do. If you like 1% a year, I mean, people have other people out there have done the math 1% a year, taken off your earnings across 30 years, you know, if you put in 6000 at the beginning, you're you're losing hundreds of 1000s just on that percent. Yeah. Because the compound interest, as it works now, every little bit matters when it comes to those fees. Right. And especially where this is involved. Um, Really interesting idea. The question is, will these smart contract platforms still be there when you're retired? Yeah. yeah. And there's less is known about that.
0: Because mm. they're proposing to essentially have their own blockchain, aren't they? They're, mm. they're essentially saying that we're going to, have our own platform and it's going to pay everyone in our own tokens it's tough mate because the more of these that come out you've just you've just got to wonder like how many of these are actually going to survive you know you saw the like we keep going back to the dot com bubble but I think it's it's good to go back to that because there was a similar like explosion of projects and companies mm. and
1: um, a website to order dog food that had millions in money raised.
0: Yeah, like- yeah, mm. yeah. And it's, and you know that website's nowhere now. And 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 so it's kind of like do you trust your money to a let's be brutally honest like a, a an unknown completely unknown completely untested platform? that has a lot of great ideas, but essentially you're trusting your savings in there Mm. as opposed to something that's, you know, a decentralized blockchain that can't really be killed, like, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum.
1: Mm. Well, while it is built on Ethereum and they are a member of this sort of Ethereum Enterprise Alliance, yeah, you're right. Mm. Like, if you're entrusting your retirement... To a smart contract, like yeah, yeah. So it's a really interesting idea. They're looking to reduce the fees. They're looking to eliminate some intermediaries in the process, uh, and add in other people into the process. But
2: it's interesting.
0: Yeah, oh, look good on them for good on them for thinking outside the box. And um, I guess it's just one of those things. We'll just have to wait and see. Hey, we'll just mm-hmm. watch it and mm-hmm. see what happens. So if you know know someone who might enjoy the podcast, please feel free to share it with your friends. Um, And also, if there's anyone you know that is working on a cool crypto project or just a cool blockchain project or a project tech project in general, and you think they might want to come on the show, please feel free to either get them in touch with us or get in touch with us directly and and recommend them to us.
1: If you want to be a part of the show, why not send us a quick voice recording? Just... Grab a little MP3 recorder on your phone. Um, shoot it over to us. We'd love to include you on the show. You can find us at FOMO.show.
0: So you can jump on our Slack at FOMO.show slash Slack.
1: You can follow us on Twitter at the underscore FOMO underscore show.
0: You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash the FOMO show.
1: And YouTube at FOMO.show slash YouTube.
0: And at it as well at Steeman.com slash at FOMO show.
1: So that's it for us here at the FOMO Show. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolute pleasure having you here.
0: If you like our show, please hit subscribe in your podcast app of choice. that will let you know whenever we put out a new episode. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember... No FOMO.
1: In no, no, lacking um, no irony at all, Moscow are looking to use the a private Ethereum blockchain for voting. Hmm. <laughs> now, do, they, they, do we really need to comment any further on this?
0: <laughs>
2: it's a private blockchain. <laughs> Why are they using but public one? But we must, one? we must trust it. <laughs> Like, look here. We, I mean, have, nothing, to, we have nothing. Nothing. We have, says. Why do you have to be mad? <laughs> we have blockchain. We well, have voting. It's only blockchain. Why uh, you have to be why mad? Why you question our democracy? We, we decide 100% vote Kyoto. <laughs> look, the people trust us. We have. Why have public blockchain when you can have private blockchain? Uh, private Posted by us. You like private enterprise, you like private blockchain. It (laughs) works for everybody, especially me.
1: (laughs) In Soviet Russia, blockchain hosts you. (laughs) Of course, sometimes we hear that not all voters trusted. (laughs) So we decided to use a blockchain for the project, a platform of electronic trust. (laughs) Oh man, have you had any of that
0: smart acid? Dude, it's so smart. Ben, what's it called? It's called NEM, man. It's smart acid. (laughs) And yes, here we are. And they continue to pour more money into this blockchain. The miners have no intention of giving it back.
1: Boundless quantities, one after the other.
0: And here they are, rationalizing why they should still stay on this blockchain when it's so far from its original use case. And yes, there he is. He's brought out the words digital gold.
1: Yes, it's a lovely day in crypto today. Lovely day in crypto. <laughs> oh, watch out. There's a there's an SEC representative. <laughs> Mind your wallet.
0: <laughs> oh, yes, and here he comes and everyone's now running away and they're running away very quickly. Yeah, Speed dialing their lawyers, it seems. <laughs> what are they saying now? Ooh. Privacy currencies. Oh, we, yes, it seems that the privacy blockchains will soon have a very big influx of people.
1: Well that's the latest update and now for the weather
0: this summer <laughs> one man <laughs> one mission to bring privacy and security
1: you've got to update your antivirus jar to the
0: blockchain four, four one
1: nine one <laughs> zero four <laughs> 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 I де здравствуите Как из номера